Submissions are now open for Film Pulse Selects 2018. Go to filmpulseselects.com to enter your feature or short to be included in this celebration of all things indie. Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 272. My name is Adam Patterson. Today I'm joined by Kevin Rakestraw. How are you, Kevin? Uh, pretty good. Good. Good to yeah. good to hear that. I'm really glad. Wonderful. This week on the show, we have three reviews lined up for you with Mr. Roosevelt from Noel Wells. We have Bob Bington's Infinity Baby. And we have Tormenting the Hen from director Theodore Galados. We'll also be going over some of what we're watching on the watch list, new releases in theaters, on VOD, and on Blu-ray. Let's uh, let's dive right into it, shall we? Okay. Do I don't have with? I don't have a specific order in mind. I was thinking we could do Roosevelt and Infinity Baby together because you have the the Noel Wells thread there. Mm-hmm. Little connection. She's in she's in both of them, and she wrote and directed Mr. Roosevelt. So. Maybe we should start with Mr. Roosevelt. Let's do it. So this is playing in L.A. right now. Uh, I have a synopsis here. After a loved one falls ill, struggling comedian Emily Martin returns to her college town of Austin, Texas, and must come to terms with her past while staying with her ex-boyfriend and his new girlfriend. Hmm. That's just, that's not a good idea. No, it is not a good idea. That's not going to work out, I don't think. So this is a bit of a romantic comedy of sorts. It it plays a lot like uh, sort of the the indie version of romantic comedy that we've been getting lately that I've actually been enjoying for the most part. I think um, Obvious Child... Is it Obvious Child? Mm-hmm. That comes to mind where you have this sort of, uh, I don't want to say quirky because there's like a whole conversation about it in the movie about when, when people refer to women as quirky. (laughs) It's just essentially the, it's the same thing that you see. (laughs) It's the same thing that you see in a lot of movies, indie movies, where it's just the, the whole rested development, like not growing up type thing, trying to navigate yeah. The adult world. So I thought this movie was, was okay. I didn't... I, I really don't have a lot to say about it. Um, I, I didn't hate it. Didn't love it. There were a couple of funny moments. Uh, oddly, none come to mind right now. Like, I remember <laughs> laughing a couple times, but uh, for the life of me, I can't remember what those moments were. I think maybe... It starts off really strong. The uh, the audition that she's in where she's doing like the rapid fire impressions. I thought that was really good and really funny. Holly she, Hunter at a yard sale. She does do a great Holly Hunter. Which to me was probably like the funniest part of the movie. So, you know, you kind of peak. So five she, minutes in. Yeah. So, so to go back to the, the plot a little bit, uh, I, from from reading the synopsis and seeing the trailer, 
it seems like they're trying to keep keep a lid on who Mr. Roosevelt is. So uh, I'm not sure why, but so we'll 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 keep that a secret. But okay. at, at any rate, she does end up back in Austin and staying with her her ex boyfriend, played by uh, Nick is it Thune. Nick Thune. Or is the H silent? I don't know. All I know is that I'm not a big fan of him. I like him. Uh, he he has a stand-up special on Netflix that's uh, pretty pretty funny. I actually can't stand him. Okay, he just irritates me. He's just his. He's so fake. The two movies that I've seen, uh, it's just it's not working. Like I can tell that you're trying really really hard at acting. And it's just, it's really distracting. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Pretty much ruins the experience. Mm, mm-hmm, Not to mm. say, I mean, Mr. Roosevelt isn't that strong to begin with, unfortunately. But he definitely doesn't do it any favors. I think that just might be his acting style. Because yeah, if, if you see his stand-up special, he has sort of the same delivery and cadence. So I think that that just might be kind of his style. To me, it's just, it's really fake. It's just a, it's a, an overabundance of fakeness. That's what I'm getting. I'm okay with it. I'm okay it irritates with it. me. Now you I'm not okay with that. It irritates me. So she's trying to deal with this loss of a loved one. She's trying to deal with the fact that she dumped this guy. And now she's in this odd circumstance where she's back in his home, staying with him and his new girlfriend. His new girlfriend is seemingly perfect. She's just this really great person. So she starts to get jealous of that. She's grieving. She's caught in a crossroads in her life. She's has no prospects. She has no, her career's not going anywhere. She's trying to be an actor, I guess, but she's not really succeeding at it. She's doing auditions. She's taking some editing jobs on the side and she's just sort of, uh, she's on the ner- the, the verge of a nervous breakdown here. She's losing it. She ends up meeting this waitress and befriending her. And that was one of the other scenes that I thought was pretty funny when they went down to, to swim when the, the scene, when, they all started taking their tops off and just the, the fear that she had in that moment. I thought that was funny. I thought it was, I didn't think it was really funny, but I thought it was like the, the editing of that and everything. I thought it was interesting. The slow motion and yeah, with the music, the music building and yeah. And her just being absolutely terrified. Uh, I mean, uh, what was the other one? Oh, for me, it was the 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 bike montage where she gets her old bike out and she's riding around, yeah, happy man. music, and she's waving to everyone. And then you you finally hit that you know where you have to go uphill, and just her muttering as she's doing that. That got a chuckle out of me. Uh, yeah, that was a good, it was a good cut. She's having a good time, and then they just cut to her struggling to get up a hill. Yeah, because riding a bike up a hill is a fucking pain in the ass. Sure, yeah, it's a workout. Especially with one of those bikes. 
Yeah, the old they're like beach cruiser style. Yeah, they're not made for that. They're made for cruising, loving yeah. life. Mm-hmm. Shot on film. It's just, yeah, for whatever reason, I don't. So it didn't really need to be. Yeah, I mean, I don't it, think it, that it, was really utilized to any certain extent. It no, was I just, mean, you know, at any point in time that you were like, "Damn, mm-hmm, good choice shooting on film. This looks great." I mean, it looks better than if it yeah. were to be shot on digital. Yeah, but they don't but, really do anything crazy with the cinematography or anything like that. No, it's pretty straightforward. It's not. There's just a, not a whole lot here in this movie. Nope. It's just kind of inoffensive. It just it was along for an hour and a half doing a lot of stuff that you've seen before. A lot of familiar themes and beats. And then it's over. And then you just go about your day and you absolutely forget it about 20 minutes later. Yeah. I mean, I thought I thought it was a good script. It just there wasn't anything there wasn't really much there as far as the narrative like you said it's it's really nothing that we haven't seen before i enjoyed my time with it i like noelle wells i thought she was funny and i thought some of the some of the extra side characters were funny too you have doug benson in there uh in in, in a small scene and he's he's pretty funny but it was like you know it's just a light breezy movie that just kind of Swings by and says hello and then moves on and we all move on. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. I mean, the main thing for me, which again, kind of, you know, kind of got the expectations up a little bit was I thought the the opening credits were probably like some of the best that I've seen this year. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I love the opening credits and then you get straight into her doing her rapid fire impressions and that Holly Hunter is pretty incredible and then everything from there is just downhill coasting felt uh, the opening credits to me felt very 90s they had a 90s vibe yeah it was just like i you know it kind of set up this like oh, okay this is gonna be it's gonna be light all right it's gonna be fun it's gonna be enjoyable looks like it's got some creativity here but I that I never really saw that. I didn't really see too much creativity. No, I think one thing that may may set this apart from something like Obvious Child is that the I, I thought the Noel Wells character was far more unlikable in this than say Jenny Slate's character in Obvious Child. I just <laughs> didn't think. I just didn't really. It wasn't that she was inherently unlikable, but I just felt like she was not that interesting of a character. Yeah. I didn't feel, I didn't feel that sorry for her. She didn't, I mean, she broke up with this guy via text message to run off to, to LA. So it's not like I felt that much empathy for her, I guess. Yeah. Plus, I mean, like we kind of said from the outset, she, it's, it's not a good idea. Like you, you don't, she hates the new girlfriend. So why are you going to stay there? Well, I think one of the reasons was she didn't have any money. She pretty much spent all her money on the plane ticket to get to Austin. 
She didn't even have enough to get back, I don't think. Yeah, but I mean, they get her that. Whatever, it doesn't matter. It doesn't fucking matter. There's just not that much, uh, you know, of interest in here. Like, I, you know, kind of reiterate a lot of familiar stuff. Yeah, I will completely agree with that. You know, at this at this point in time, you're just kind of like, oh, okay, this is like movie number sixty, seventy, like this. Like it doesn't it doesn't do a lot a good for you know the American indie, which is already kind of like stereotyped into this type of thing, and then to have this come out on you know on the tails of like another fifty movies like this is just it doesn't help you know, the term American indie cinema or whatever, whatever you want to call it. I don't think it helps the image. Mm, Harsh words. Killing the American indie. Mr. Roosevelt. It's just, it's it's one of those, again, where this is the problem with American indies that I should say American indies that get picked up for distribution is they always pick up the safe ones. And guess what? Most of the safe ones are like this. So they end up becoming this, you know, like homogenized product of just, they're all kind of the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially with the, the comedies specifically. Mm-hmm. Where it's just like this kind of awkwardness and it's, you know, these people that aren't, that haven't grown up or kind of making fun of the people that are grown up. It's, just, I, uh, it's funny because the, there's been, I mean, there's a ton of movies like this and they've been doing it for years and years now. I don't know if it was like the spawn of Mumblecore that that resulted in this or Yeah, what? which it does, it does kind of seem like it took, they took Mumblecore and then just like gussied it up and refined it and, you know, made it more you know, I guess sellable. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I was, I was thinking of, um, recently I was thinking about Fort Tilden and I feel like a movie like Fort Tilden is sort of that, that missing link between something that's mumblecore and something that's like Mr. Roosevelt, where it's more accessible than like yeah. a, an early Swanberg movie or something. But at the same time, it's not as inoffensive and, cutesy as something like mr roosevelt yeah it sits right there in the middle which the search party comes back tonight and i'm pretty excited about that that's that's all that's all that was about this is the only reason you brought it up <laughs> well that's why i was Just thinking about that's why i was thinking about fort yeah. tilden i got gotcha. you okay I at any rate process at any rate that's mr I'm roosevelt <laughs> that's a bummer yeah what are you gonna give this thing I give it like a four and a half, five. I'm gonna go with a five point five on this one. All right. It's just uh, to to me, it's just like slightly above average. I mean, it definitely gets bonus points for being shot on film. But uh, other than that, I did like some of the music in it as well. The leaks. Yeah. And there were there were a couple moments of uh, of joy and laughter that I that I gleamed <laughs> from it. So. Okay. Wasn't wasn't a complete loss. 
Again, Mr. Roosevelt is playing in LA right now, and it will be opening uh, wider on the 22nd. I don't know if it's getting a VOD release on the 22nd or what, but... It seems tailor-made for VOD. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely does. Let's move on and talk about Infinity Baby. So this is directed by Bob Bington, written by Owner Tuchel. So, big fan of his stuff on the show. I have a synopsis here. A comedy about babies that don't age. There you go. Short to the point. Would it be babies that that don't age or babies who don't age? I don't think it matters. <laughs> All right, what you th- <laughs> what you think of Infinity Baby? Uh, man. Now this is my type of runtime. I like this. It just it gets in there, does its thing, and it's over. Uh, it's pretty. I think it. What it's dealing with is a bit too simplistic, especially like a, what what ends up transpiring towards the end, where you know how the the it's kind of like a twist where something changes. There's this big change, mm-hmm. which just seems really simplistic on two ends with the babies and with uh, um, Karen Calkins' character. You know where it just kind of comes down to like one one interaction, this very simple interaction that I'm to believe that no one has tried at any point in time mm-hmm. with the babies. So, but then again, it's got that short runtime. I thought the writing was pretty great. I thought it would, for me, the most part, it was pretty funny. I thought the acting was pretty great throughout pretty much everyone. I don't think there was really a weak link in this movie the only thing that like i said kind of simplistic with the storyline there and like some of the themes and everything and then the i was actually surprised like the aesop rock soundtrack to me just didn't really fit Mm -hmm. yeah i i would uh somewhat agree there i think a, a few of the tracks worked and some of them didn't work i mean he's think fairly new to this whole scoring thing he did he did bushwick which i thought was far more effective than in this movie like you said the the cast i thought was strong performances across the board we got megan mullally nick offerman martin Starr, kieran culkin steven root a lot of great people noel wells kevin corgan uh jennifer prediger's in there lots of great people so, for me, there were several moments of that that really worked for me. Some of the things didn't. So basically, it's a very light, very light sci-fi comedy, uh, shot in black and white, about these babies that don't age, so they remain babies forever, and. The there's a company that they sell them or they they don't sell them. They like they sort of rent them out. Yeah, they're just looking for for homes for. So here's what I don't understand. (laughs) You go and you get you get a baby, 
and you get $20,000 for taking in this baby. How does Infinity Baby make money? Yeah. No. We don't we did, don't know the answer to that. Did they discuss that? No. Discuss that. No, that but that's why I'm wondering. Now they said that they are a subsidiary of this other company and maybe that's maybe that's what it is. Maybe they maybe the Infinity Baby maybe it doesn't make money. Maybe it's just like a non-profit thing. Yeah, they're just kind of they're, they're overloaded with these these babies that don't age. They got to do something with them. Yeah. So you have this, you know, subsidiary that you create to just find homes for them. And for whatever reason, the only people they have to do this, or at least what we see, is Kevin Corrigan and Martin Starr. Which yes. it seems like you should hire better people to find homes for these babies. Yeah, they're complete buffoons. Complete and utter buffoons. They <laughs> are. Uh, I just remember. I just remembered that one of them gets blinded. <laughs> in one of the, there's a lot of there's a lot of weird, uh, just weird random sequences and conversations that happen in this. It is a bit of an an absurdist film. Some of it worked for me. Some of it didn't. The Kieran Culkin stuff didn't really work for me. Like I didn't. Anytime they would cut back to his story, I just. I didn't really care about it too yeah. much. Yeah. I just wanted to get back to the other, the other stuff. Although I thought he was funny, uh, especially his interactions with Nick Offerman. Like when they went back to handle the, there's a situation that occurs with one of the babies when they go to, to handle it. Um, but yeah, I thought it was overall pretty funny. Looked looked pretty good, but, I wanted more. I felt like there's just not quite enough here. Well, even, and I mean, we talk about what the, the runtime's like an hour and 10 minutes, right? It's a pretty, yeah. pretty quick, brisk runtime there, right? But even then, there's they do the old, you know, they show some clips at the beginning, which are kind of like out of order, and you're not 100% sure like how they fit in, what's the context, all of that. And then they're kind of, we come back to them later on in the movie, you know, where they actually like, they get slotted in chronologically where you're like, Oh, okay. This is the scene that I saw earlier. And I, okay, this, this is when it happened, which just it felt like, like padding. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where you didn't have to do that at the beginning. Like it didn't add anything, especially like Kieran Culkin when he meets with uh, Martha Kelly, like when they're, because you're not 100 percent sure what that is if that that's a date or if she's like maybe maybe a buyer these, yeah like an applicant for one of these infinity babies like you have no idea what this is and then when it gets slotted in chronologically you're just like well there was like you didn't have to do that that made no sense like you're just padding the runtime here i guess to get it to like feature length yeah i guess i don't i'm not sure yeah that's so I don't think movies that are under like 60 minutes actually, you know, they don't really sell. No, not really. Shout outs to Martha Kelly, though. I was glad to see her in this. <laughs> She's so funny, dude. I, I want her in everything. There's a lot, a lot of good people in this. And they all do solid work. Yeah. Yep. 
that's what I mean. Like as as little chunks of themselves, just like these little scenes, like um, Kevin Corrigan and Martin Starr going to Jennifer Prediger's house with the Infinity Bay. Like everything in that section, that's just that's a solid short film right there. Yeah, it it almost feels like it's a series of sketches. It, it almost <laughs> feels feels like it's interconnected sketches. Yeah. It's just, it doesn't seem to have something that just kind of like brings it all together. Right. Yeah. Agreed. Like a, so because my headphones cut out. So what were your thoughts on the, the Aesop rock ah. score there? So I, I said that some of it, I, I liked some of it. I thought felt a little out of place, but I said that he's new to the whole scoring a film thing. And, and I th- the other the other thing that kind of interests me because it was like original score, but a lot of it is like recycled beats from you know, like none shall pass and stuff. Yeah, it's like man, that's okay. We're just doing the instrumental. It sounded version. a little different though. It sounded like he it, tweaked yeah. it. He tweaked it a little bit. Like the pitch was different, which is weird because I'm pretty sure the none shall pass beat is blockhead not Aesop Rock. But I guess at that time I guess at that point he he bought that beat. So I guess it's his. Yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't know how that works. I don't know how the specifics of that work. It's just it it I I don't know how it works for people that might not know Aesop Rock or be like really into his music. But for me to hear like the opening beat of None Shall Pass, I'm just waiting for him to come in. Like, yeah, I love this song. I want to hear it. Yeah. Like, when's he going to start rapping? And I just like, I don't care about the movie anymore. I'm just like, yeah, I want to hear this Aesop Rock song. Hell yeah. It's like when you accidentally put on an, the instrumental version of an album instead of the, the regular version. You're like, oh, okay, here we, uh, nope, nope. Okay, here, here come, nope, okay. And you just think that the <laughs> lyrics are going to drop, and they never do. No, nope. yeah, I, I thought it was fine. I, I, I liked his his work in Bushwick was really good too. So I, I think that with Bush I, with Bushwick, it was really he only did he did a few songs. I don't know how many he did in total, but they reused the same song like five or six times. Okay, so, so that was I, that was very slight as well. Because I did really like the beat, like right at the beginning, that when he's doing like the opening credits for Infinity Baby, mm-hmm. that beat, I was like, hell yeah, this Aesop Rock score is going to be awesome. I mean, I hope he continues doing music for uh, scores for for movies because I think it's it's definitely unique. Like it's something you notice. Oh yeah, and I, and I like that. Yeah, because I don't think you can really point out to a lot of other people doing scores and be like, yeah, they sound like Aesop Rock. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That doesn't. Well, just, just film scores in general. I feel like they've gotten so <laughs> run of the mill. Like, not, like f- most movies when I watch them, I don't even notice Yeah, the score. Which can be a good thing though, too. Cause sometimes when you notice it, it's not for the right reasons. Yeah, I mean, uh, one one movie comes to mind, Neil Marshall's Doomsday. I liked that movie a lot. 
but I saw it when I saw it in the theater, I noticed that the the score was I don't know if it was just not mixed properly or maybe it was just in the theater. No, because I'm pretty sure I saw it again at home and I had the same issue where the score felt like it was so constant and loud and distracting that it, mm-hmm. it, it like actually detracted from the the experience for me. Gotcha. Yeah, I hate when that happens. I'm a fan of that. Either way, Infinity Baby was uh it was it was okay for me. I just it it was fine, maybe just wanted a little bit of a tighter narrative in there. There just wasn't enough for me to be like able to to give it a high recommendation. Yeah. I'm kind of right there with you. Uh all right, Infinity Baby, I will give that a I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a six. I give it about a six, too. All right. This one is available now on YouTube and iTunes and I think Google Play. So VOD, your, your VOD platform of choice. No marketing behind this one. We, we talked about this off the air earlier in the week when we were deciding to give this a look. I didn't even know that this movie existed until I saw a tweet from, I think, Jennifer Prediger. Yeah, I think I think so. I, I, I think it, that was pretty much the same way. It was either Prediger or Nick Offerman. It's just, it was just weird that this movie just popped up out of nowhere. I mean, I know it played a few festivals, but I literally had no idea that it, it, it existed at all, which is very strange. Because even though, even though. I'm at like a six. It's still probably like a decent, you know, kind of worth a look. Because there are some spots in there that are pretty funny. Oh, yeah. It, it definitely. I just I don't think I would prioritize that. Yeah, I mean, like Mr. Roosevelt, there were some laughs to be had. Some hearty chuckles on my part. But I get them chuckles. Oh, yeah. There were some chortles, some chuckles. It was it was a decent time. There you go. Let's talk about our final film of the uh, of the episode here with Tormenting the Hen. This is written and directed by Theodore Kalados. I have a synopsis here: a feature film tumult of social malaise and toxic love. You reviewed this one on the site a long time ago. Correct. Back when I was playing the the old festivals. So this is playing the 16th through the 27th, 22nd at the mm-hmm. Spectacle Theater in New York. Uh, so you can go check it out there now. And I would, I would recommend checking it out in, in a theater environment if you can. Because uh, I actually quite, I quite liked this one. I didn't think I was going to, honestly. Now, I, was, I was actually really curious as to how this one was going to go. Because I was thinking, I was like, he could be really into this one, or he could just not be feeling it at all. Yeah. Uh, so I, I love I love thrillers, but psychological thrillers rarely rarely do it for me. Like um, I'm trying to think of some recent ones. Maybe Queen of Earth was one that just it really didn't work for me. Like I just was not not into it. I'm not a big fan of the slow descent into madness 
yeah subgenre if that <laughs> i'm gonna make it one if it's not but this one and, and i was worried that that's where this was gonna go i i would argue that that's not really what happens here it yeah. it seems like that's the way it's gonna go but it i feel like it, it doesn't really go there it's more of a suspense thriller than anything else where you have these conversations between the characters and at any moment you feel like this could be the breaking point for this character. So you have this couple, they go to the Berkshires to uh, perform a, a play, right? Uh, one of the, one of them, one of the characters, Claire, she's directing a play that she also wrote and they're kind of vacationing there too. So like her, her girlfriend, Monica, goes there with her to spend spend the time there while she works on it. And they're staying in this nice house and there's a there's a caretaker, groundskeeper there who I believe he has Asperger's. They they say that there's a scene where an officer says that, although I'm not sure if he if he's just projecting that or if it's like he was actually diagnosed with that and that's a known fact. Yeah, I mean, certainly seems like he's on the spectrum. Uh, it's this guy he's named. Definitely, he's definitely had you know his social interactions, his social skills are they're definitely uh, lacking, severely lacking. Uh, so this guy's name's Muddy, and as they spend more time there, there are these these sort of. Um, these arguments, this this sort of tension that starts to build where Monica wants to get married and start a family. And it seems like Claire's not quite ready. She's not quite there yet with it. But then Claire's under a lot of stress from the the play that she's that she's working on. And then we have Muddy who seems to want to insert himself into their relationship. And he just seems to cross some boundaries here and there he mow, yeah. he's like incessantly mowing the like always mowing and i feel and i feel like that's an added stressor because i'm i was thinking like i would lose my mind if oh yeah somebody outside was just mowing all day every day oh yeah i would completely lose it yeah no to hear that constant hum when you're trying to relax, like, especially like when they're like sitting outside trying to have a conversation and just like enjoy the sun and the beautiful day. And you got this guy like passing on a John Deere, just like every, every minute just comes past and then comes past again and comes past again. And he's been mowing for like eight hours. He just keeps mowing. Yeah. Forever mowing (laughs) is, is Muddy's motto. Well, like you said, where he's crossing boundaries and you're never quite sure what what's going on with Muddy. So you're never 100% sure if he's doing this like on purpose. Is like, is this intentional? Because a lot of this stuff kind of comes off as can be perceived as like threatening behavior. Yeah. But you're also just not 100%, 100% sure if like perhaps you're just overreacting to what he's doing because he lacks the social skills 
that, you know, he just, he doesn't realize how he's coming across and he's just, essentially, he's just looking for company, really. Yeah. It's it's, just it, all, all this tension from that in, and in, from ev- everything else. Yeah. And in, in one moment, you feel like he's trying to be a good person, trying to be hospitable, have them over for dinner and drinks and stuff. But then there's like certain things that he'll say, like there was a particularly tense moment where he made up this story about being in desert shield or desert storm. I love the way he shot that too. Yeah. It's just that like suffocating close up, and it's just spinning around and around. Well that, and that's how a lot of the, the film is shot is like, extreme close-ups like a lot of really extreme handheld close-ups on the characters lots of in your face types of types of uh of shots and you have this kind of claustrophobic smothering feel to it and uh i like that a lot actually i thought that that really worked and helped helped support the the kind of the overall theme of this film yeah exactly i think it really does the you know the the visual storytelling really lends itself well to to the narrative that it is telling. So to that, I think the movie looked great. Uh, I thought performances across the board were really solid. Uh, yeah, everybody, like uh, Matthew Shaw's Muddy did a pretty fantastic job. Quite an enigma, that character. You can, yeah. you can never really pin him down. And I, I like that about that character. Yeah, it just seemed like everyone's just on edge. Just in any conversation that, whether it's, you know, Monica having interaction with Muddy or Claire and Monica or Claire when she's working on her, you know, when they're rehearsing the play and everything, it's just, it seems like everyone's, they're just waiting to attack each other. Yeah. You know, just they hear what they want to hear and then they just, they go off of that. They all just need to chill out. They just got to relax. Yeah. What they need to do, see, and this is, I think this is where Muddy comes in. You just got to get out there on that John Deere. Just got to move for a little bit. Be alone with your thoughts. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Maybe not for eight hours, but because you don't need to put that kind of stress on the grass, but just get out there and mow a little bit. Some therapeutic mowing. Yeah, I did it today. November nineteenth, still mowing. Was it therapeutic? Did 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 were you able to no, take some time fucking, to yourself and contemplate? It was, no, it was a goddamn nightmare. It's like fifty mile per hour winds out today. <laughs> uh, I think that the mowing season would be over soon, wouldn't it? Oh, it should be. It should be. Yeah, but not anymore. Because there's no such thing as like regional climates anymore. <laughs> just a goddamn nightmare. It's just a clusterfuck of jet streams and whatnot. It's awful. Arctic, uh, Arctic, whatever. We yeah, had some sort that. of Arctic gust or whatever you call it the other week, where it was like <laughs> one day it was like in the 70s and the next day it's in the 20s. Yeah, it's just. It's a nightmare. Well, this is a glimpse into our future. (laughs) That's true. That is true. So, overall, I liked the the movie quite a lot, actually. That was really effective. It, uh, 
had a real tight runtime on this one too. Another one, yeah. Hour and seventeen minutes, according to IMDb. Yep, got in, got out. No bloat. No, I wasn't left wanting more. I thought it was just uh, just cut perfectly for me. Yeah, same here. I wasn't really like you said. I wasn't. Not that I didn't necessarily want more, but there was, I never, it didn't feel incomplete to me, you know? Yeah. That it's like everything was handled as it should. And just like you said, get in, get out. See, and it's just another, another example that you don't need two hours and 10 minutes. Just tell your goddamn story. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, one, not criticism, but just one thing about this. I didn't like the character of Monica. She she annoyed me. Uh, maybe she, was, maybe she was supposed to be annoying. <laughs> I think that's uh, yeah. I think that was the intent. The point. Yeah. I mean, she's kind of left alone, and anytime she wants to kind of discuss their relationship, she just gets shot down, and then she's got to deal with Muddy all day when no one's around. Yeah, and then when every time she tries to bring up Muddy, it's just like, no, he's fine, he's harmless, and it's like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to jump the gun and be like this guy is dangerous, but at the same time, you know, you gotta keep an eye out on this guy. A little concerned. There's there's some concern there. Yeah, like he yeah. has keys to your house. Like he can get into your house. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like she has, she has legitimate concerns. That people are not listening to her. Like if someone just waltz into my house, uh, uh-uh, fuck that. I'm buying a deadbolt. Yeah, I, padlocks. That being said, I feel like she overreacts a lot. But I feel like everybody in this 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 is like a series of overreactions. I guess a little. My, I don't know. I don't think she did overreact. Not the way I see it. When she gets up and. Breaks the glass and flips over the. Yeah, I mean she did grill. That, that one. I'd call that an outburst. I'd call that an overreaction, because they're having just a cordial convo, you know, just hanging out, having some friends over, some actors. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I Mu- and muddy, did, muddy wasn't doing anything particularly egregious well i think yeah see that's the problem is it kind of gets taken out on muddy in that situation where it's more of uh the the joel and her girlfriend claire kind of like flirting with each other yeah kind of and then she takes it out on muddy poor muddy so misunderstood well i you know some of that stuff you shouldn't be doing no <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I agree yeah, unfortunately, I don't think he knows any better. Well, and it's like you think he's like okay, he's he just wants company. He's a decent guy, and then he kind of goes off on like the, the Brazil stuff. Yeah, and it's just like oh, okay, maybe not. Yeah, I think that that's kind of the thing is where you're you're constantly like reassessing what you what your thoughts are, or at least I was of Muddy. Yeah, I was definitely. Yeah, because at first I was like, "Oh, he's a creep," and then you're like, "Oh, okay." There's, it's he just doesn't have any kind of filter yeah. or anything. Like yeah. he has no inner dialogue, and yeah. then and then 
he does some other stuff and you're just like, all right, he's, he's crossing the line here. Yeah. And then he, you know, it kind of goes back the other way and then you're like, oh, okay, well, he's kind of like, he's kind of racist. Like, huh. Okay. And then, you know, that really, really tense story that like that, I think would have been for me, that would have been like, nah, like that's a lot of work to come up with a story like that. Mm-hmm. And for that to be the story that you create, I don't know. I think I would be cutting off communication there. Yeah, probably. Probably. Either way, this is a really interesting film. I would definitely recommend checking it out. I, I, it, wasn't, it wasn't at all what I expected. I, for some reason, I thought it was going to be way more in the kind of surreal experimental uh, vibe than, than what it was. It does go to some sort of experimental places, but I thought that all of those elements were done really well. And all of those, all of those sort of small, call them like nightmare sequences, all that stuff really worked for me as well. Yeah. I agree. So that's called Tormenting the Hen that is again playing right now in New York at the Spectacle Theater. Definitely check it out if you can. It is playing for a couple more days before ending its run. Hopefully, it will be out on VOD or available for streaming at some point. I would hope so. Hey, uh, if you're listening, Teddy, you could uh, maybe submit it for Film Pulse Selects. Because I can tell you right now, we would definitely accept it. Now, is that is that like a conflict of interest type deal? Were you like you already? Or can you do that? I don't know. I don't, know I don't think it's works. a conflict of interest. I don't know. <laughs> like you see the movies that are already getting like festival runs and stuff, and you just solicit them. Like, hey, I can almost guarantee so, you that there are other film festivals that tried to seek out other, other movies that were at festivals and get them to screen at theirs. That's true. I, I, I would say almost would. every single movie at TIFF is like that or, or uh, AFI Fest is another example. Like I guarantee they solicit. No, that's like true. crazy. Yeah. Especially the ones that are just kind of like, like the greatest hits of all the other festivals. Yep. Exactly. Again, that's called Tormenting the Hen. Let's move on and talk about someone we're watching on the watch list. Kevin, I think we'll start with you this week. Uh, I only have one, and that's A Woman, A Part. They see, this is actually available on uh, Netflix Instant. <clears throat> Trying to, like, pick out some 2017s, kind of get caught up. So this is directed by Elizabeth Subrin. Um it Maggie Siff plays a she's kind of like this she's a TV actress where she's kind of in this role where she's not really happy she kind of feels like she she's sold out because she's in this like big time TV role and she's not really happy with her part anymore she feels like it's kind of just this like caricature she wants a you know a little more complicated female to play and that's not really happening um, so she kind of takes a break. She's given like a week. So she goes back to New York with her old and kind of like 
seeks out her old theater friends and they have a whole complicated history. All right. So she's <clears throat> trying to navigate that, trying to like get back in their lives. And there's a lot of resentments and all the, all the typical stuff that happens there. Um, overall, worth a look. Um, it did, it felt a little bit familiar, some of the stuff, uh, a lot of familiar themes. And for the most part, you kind of know how it's, how it's going to go, you know, how it's going to play out, what's going to happen from one scene to the next, really. Um, but the, the performances are great. And the, like the actual execution of it, I thought was pretty fantastic. So even though it is kind of familiar, still the, everything that goes into it, I thought it was pretty remarkable. So it's kind of like a light recommend on there. Okay. And that's a woman apart, Correct. not a woman apart, but no, a, a woman, woman comma, comma, a part a space part. <laughs> Got it. Uh, so it's an unfortunate title. Yeah. Yeah. I saw Thelma. Oh, look at you. Yeah. So this is, uh, directed by Jochim Trier. Uh, I probably just butchered his name. That just sounds so wrong. Anyway, it's the guy that did Og- <laughs> Oslo August 31st. So this is sort of a sort of a thriller, sort of a horror movie in a, in a little bit of a way, I would say. It's about a girl who goes to university and she after getting after arriving there, she sort of has this seizure and when she has this seizure, it causes all of these birds to suddenly fly into the window of the the library where she had this seizure and she has all these tests and MRIs and whatnot. And they, they can't really find anything wrong with her, but they think maybe she could have epilepsy. So they want to do more tests. And as they're sort of trying to figure out what's going on with her, she has more of these episodes and they become more, pronounced and she starts to have like kind of strange visions during these these episodes and it takes sort of a supernatural turn but one of the interesting things about it is that after she arrives at at college she meets this other girl and they sort of develop a, a relationship of sorts she sort of falls for this for this girl and the problem is she comes from a very hyper religious hyper christian family and they would not be okay with it at all so she's very nervous about that uh and it turns out that it's in the opening scene of the film she and her dad are out hunting in the woods and they show the father who instead of killing this deer that's in front of them he points the gun at her and she doesn't see it because he's behind her but he almost shoots his own daughter. And you're like, what's that all about? So the whole time you're kind of wondering like, all right, there's something up here. The the parents know something, something's going on. And it all eventually comes, comes out that, uh, that she, she indeed does have something very wrong with her. Uh, very interesting. The visuals in this are stellar. 
there's a, there's there's one scene. I'm not going to give a. I'm really not going to give away anything. Um, I've been sort of speaking as vaguely as possible because I think that this is a movie that you sort of need to witness uh, for yourself to fully appreciate it. Because I went into it almost completely cold. I did see a trailer, but that was it. Uh, there's there's one scene in particular that takes place on a lake. I'll say that, and it's the visuals are so freaking cool in how they do this. Like the special effects work is really good. Um, hmm. I I really really like this movie. This was a, a big surprise for me. We have a review for this up on the site. I think uh, Chris reviewed it for us. He gave it a very high score. I can't remember. I think he might have given it like a nine. He gave it a nine. Yeah. He he loved it. It was like, it's like his number one movie of the year, I think, right now, as of right now. Uh, so I would say he definitely seek this one out. It's on VOD, I believe, right now. It's, again, it's called Thelma, and it, it is absolutely worth a look. Very interesting. And I think you would. I think you would probably like it, Kevin. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw Justice League. Uh, okay. <laughs> oh my goodness! Uh, have you read or have seen anything about the whole mustache thing, Henry Cavill and the mustache? I did. I <clears throat> I saw once, like a couple here and there, but I never like saw a picture. I was just like, huh wonder what that's all about. And then finally, like a couple of days later, I saw like actual, like visual evidence of what was being discussed. And it made, it made so much more sense to me. Cause at first I'm just like a oh, big deal. Like they cut out his mustache, whatever. Yeah. Like they should be able to do Cause they can like, you know, they can age people and stuff digitally. They, I mean, they should be able to get rid of a mustache. That, that shouldn't be that difficult. Well, evidently it costs millions of dollars to do this. And it looks so bad. <laughs> I, I like the opening scene. So the movie starts off with like cell phone footage of Superman doing something. And first of all, it is not needed for the story whatsoever. It adds literally nothing to the narrative. It's, it's like a three minute cell phone video that has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. It's completely pointless. And in that scene, which is the opening scene of the film, you have this weird close-up of Superman where his face is very clearly animated, but just his mouth. And you're like, what the fuck? And then there are several moments throughout the film where, again, he is a scene with Superman and his mouth looks animated. Not all of them, just some of them, like maybe three or four sequences. And you're just like, what the fuck is going on here? And it looks so bad. I I, I don't understand why they thought it was a good idea to do that. Like just, Oh my God. I feel like there, there could have been a better way. Just have him have the mustache for Christ's sakes. Just give him the, I think it'd be better if they CG'd a mustache onto him for the stuff that they had previously shot. And that probably would have looked better <laughs> than trying to remove the mustache. Cause it is so bad, but 
I do like just like the idea of him having a mustache in some scenes and then not in other scenes I, and just like not even address it. I know. Just, that's what I was thinking. I think it'd be so funny if they just left it in. Like he he gets resurrected <laughs> and he just has a mustache when he when he gets resurrected cuz they say that even after you die your hair grows a little bit, right? Yeah. So yeah. how's he going to shave? He's dead. He can't shave your face. Anyway, so he's got a mustache. Big deal, Superman. Anyway, it's not it's not just the the mustache face that looks bad in this. All of the CG. This movie's. I would say that this could qualify as an animated movie. It there's so much CG in it. It's well. That's what I didn't understand from seeing the trailer for this. Now, I'm not a huge fan of. A lot of these superhero movies now, but this one, the trailer for this was just like, wow, why, why would anyone want this? Like, it's just, it's dark as can be. It's just like black, like there's no color in the movie at all. It just looks, it, like you said, it looks animated. Yeah. It doesn't even look like a goddamn movie. Like, what the hell's the point here? Yeah. So, Almost everything is CG. Things that very clearly don't need to be CG, like uh, the character of Cyborg, he's almost entirely CG. And I'm pretty sure that they they made his face CG in a lot of scenes, which was completely unnecessary because he has just a regular human face. But he just has like part of his face is like metal, which they could easily just, you know, stick a piece of plastic on his face and have it look better than... It, yeah, just animating it, so the CG is awful. It's it's like I don't know what they were thinking with this, because it just it looks bad. It looks cartoonish, and none of it even looks close to being convincing or real. It's it's just awful. The visuals, you know, the thing about Zack Snyder, who directed this, everybody always says like, oh, he's like a style of substance guy. You know, his his movies are always very visually arresting, but. He's he's always his movies are always lacking in narrative or character development. And with this movie, it's like all of the above. The movie is ugly. Like it's an ugly movie. It looks bad. And not just the CG, but just everything about it looks awful. And the narrative is also very poorly constructed. It's just I'd say 50% of the movie is origin story cuz you know the at the beginning, there's this kind of action sequence with Batman, and then he's putting together the team. You know, he's assembling the team. So, a large chunk of the movie is him just kind of rounding up Aquaman and Flash, and then they try to resurrect Superman. And it's just, it's just bad. It's just poor storytelling. None of it, none of it really works, which is unfortunate because. On the performance side of things, the actors that play all the respective characters, I think that they're good choices. I like that uh, the guy that they got for um, for the Flash, Ezra Miller. You know, I, I when they first announced his casting, I was like, "Oh, that's kind of an interesting choice." You know, we need to talk about Kevin being the yeah. being the Flash. I like, I kind of like that. Jason Momoa's Aquaman. You know, Aquaman, one of the most made fun of of the superheroes i would say and jason momoa basically turned him into a badass um 
So I liked all the casting. Of course, Gal Gadot returning as Wonder Woman. All the casting was solid. And I like Ben Affleck as Batman in this too. But unfortunately, all of these these really solid actors, they just have nothing to work with at all. And the action sequences are lazy and incredibly generic. Like, I don't even remember any of them specifically. They're just, they're so bland and generic. It's just, it's, it's bad. It's just very, very bad. I, I, when, it, just, when I, it, it looks, it's just engaging from, again, I'm just going off trailer here, but it looks, it looks ugly as all hell. It looks like it's just loaded with what they deem clever one-liners. Oh, yeah. They, there's a lot of like, but they don't feel natural. They feel really yeah. tacked on. That's, yeah, that's Hollywood blockbuster for you. And it just looks like it's no fun whatsoever. Oh, no, it's it's not fun. It is not fun. Like Ezra Miller, like the, the Flash, they made... They made that character kind of the fun one. And to a lesser extent, they made Aquaman the fun one. Like, basically, every line out of Jason Momoa's mouth is some sort of snarky comment or joke. And to give credit where it's due, most of those jokes are humorous and they do land. Same with um, all of Ezra Miller's lines is Barry Allen. Like, those two guys are definitely the comic relief. Unfortunately, they are in it far less than anyone else. Yeah. They definitely take a back seat. So they're, they're kind of just in there to, to bring the comedic relief. And the villain is lame and looks horrible. And then you have these like armies of these insect alien creatures that just look so generic and dumb. And, and then like behind that, you have the whole rotten tomatoes thing. I don't know if you heard about that whole, controversy over them holding back the score and revealing the score on their stupid see it skip it show Mm -hmm. which I think is not not great but uh, at any rate Justice League is is a big uh, it's it's awful it's just a bad it's a bad movie it's a bad time don't go see it (laughs) Sounds about right. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty crap. Uh, that's really all I got this week. So right. we can move on. Well, talk. We, we got, well, what do we got coming out? So normally there's some big releases on Thanksgiving. Uh, not this year. This year, I guess they're just taking a break. <laughs> Hollywood's just like, you know what? We're not doing Thanksgiving this year. Next year we'll do it. Maybe. Yes, yeah, so maybe it's in, it just didn't work out. Last year, so they just decided, nah, this year, let's not do it. I guess. There is one big one. That's the new Disney Pixar film, Coco. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Not interested in this one, but I'll probably see it at some point. You know, that's the funny thing about a lot of the Disney Pixar stuff. When they come out, I'm just not interested, and then I see it and usually like it. It's probably going to be the same thing with Coco. We have. I can see it. We have the man who invented Christmas. That's the. Uh, I think it's a Charles Dickens biopic. Okay. We have Darkest Hour. It's the one with uh, Gary Oldman. 
Mm-hmm. Like Churchill, I think. Ooh. We have Call Me By Your Name. Uh, that one's getting a lot of a lot of buzz around that one. Yeah, I, I, so much so that I thought this movie already came out. Yeah, so did I, actually. Certainly. <laughs> uh, we have a movie called The Current War. I don't know. It sounds like a documentary about electricity to me, but I'm not sure. We have bom- we have Bombshell, the Hedy Lamar story. Okay. Documentary about Hedy Lamar, the uh, famous actress who was also a genius, and she was uh, she was like a genius uh, mathematician who uh, she like worked with the U.S. government during the war. Mm. She was like an inventor. She was like a genius inventor. I, 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 um, is she? I could be wrong. I could be mistaken. But is she the one that developed like a like a sonar type system? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It was like a communication system. Yeah. That they <laughs> that the Allies used during the war. Uh, really interesting. I, I saw this at Tribeca this year. Earlier this year. Okay. But uh, I would recommend checking that out because uh, it's it's a really interesting sort of tragic story about what happened to her. Eric Clapton, A Life in 12 Bars. I'm assuming that's a documentary about Eric Clapton. Probably. I mean, just judging by the title. I kind of hope it's not, <laughs> but... That would be pretty great, actually, if it wasn't. Cuba and the Cameraman. I'm guessing that's a documentary about Cuba. It's just, it's, it's nothing but biopics. And- <laughs> yeah. I mean, everything that I've listed so far, except for Call Me By Your Name and Coco. This week on VOD, let's see what we have here. On the 21st, we have Blood Harvest, Above Ground Level, Dub Fire. It's about uh, some sort of dubstep DJ, maybe. Okay. One of the world's most mo- most successful DJs. I wonder if that's the one I got a voicemail about. Dubfire. Maybe, maybe he did. We have After Love. Active Adults. Crooked House. And that's it. As far as VOD, that's all we got. Blu-ray this week. Got a couple things here. Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets. We got Good Time. I recommend that. The Hitman's Bodyguard. We got The Villainous. That one's worth a look, too. Donnie Darko's getting its 287th Blu-ray release. That's one of those movies, man. You should see that on that list. Like They just keep re-releasing that fucker over and over again. Pretty much every year. It's like, like the college crowd. It's like the college kids. They love the, their Donnie Darko. Got to get a new they one. Gotta, they got to get keep re-releasing Donnie Darko and Boondock Saints and freshman class. <laughs> Just keep churning them out. All right, let's see what else we have here. Beach Rats. Uh, oh, fine. Yeah, I'm interested in that one. Jungle, starring Daniel Radcliffe. That one came and went real fast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Teenage Slumber Party Nightmare. Yeah. That's from 2014. Looks like one of those kind of throwback 
movies. Housebound from 2014. I'd recommend that one. Did you see that one? Mm-hmm. The New Zealand one? Mm-hmm. That was pretty great. I enjoyed that. That was a fun one. Yeah, I remember talking about it on the show, but I didn't, I didn't know if we did like a full review. I think we did. I, th- I think you're right. Uh, American Mary from 2012 is getting a Blu-ray release. I'd recommend that one as well. That one was interesting. California Typewriter. That's a documentary about the California Typewriter. <laughs> oh, God. Because it's not just a documentary about typewriters. You know, that would be one it's thing. Different. But the California Typewriter. That needs its own specific document. It's like that. It's like that documentary Helvetica. You know. Yes. <laughs> when are we going to get documentaries on the other ones? I, I would love a Comic Sans documentary. Should, you would think at this point in time. I think you could. I, you have enough. I, you I got I, plenty of material. Oh yeah, for Comic Sans. Easy. Yep. Um, that's pretty much it. What do we have on the Criterion front this week? Oh, we have one, and that's Terry Gilliam's Jabberwocky from 1977. Getting the old Blu-ray Criterion treatment. Great cover. Holy crap. Love that cover. Love it. Loving that cover. All right. I think that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can send us your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at FilmPulseNet and at FilmPulseKevin. If you have a minute, take a look at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash FilmPulse. Consider helping us out by becoming a subscriber. For Kevin Rakestraw, my name's Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week. <laughs>